Hello and welcome to the Jean Monnet podcast for citizens' rights. I'm Roman Liber and this is a series of conversations with guest speakers or project team members. Today, we are going to talk about activation of EU-derived rights in third countries. That was the subject of an academic seminar which took place the 14th of April. It was the second seminar of our Work Package 4, which reflect on the linkage and interactions between citizens' rights and the EU's global activity. Work Package 4 investigates the way in which EU, as a right-based institution, seeks to promote rights at the global level, especially human rights. But as well, it investigates the EU as a normative power and focuses on how rights develop internally and are externalized via European trade and investment relationships with third countries. So this seminar was entitled Activating EU Rights Globally, Legal Mobilization in Third Countries. It focused on the fundamental right discourse of the EU as an important part of the EU multilateral and bilateral diplomacy and considered how, by whom and under which circumstances rights are activated in third countries and if it affects EU foreign policy at all. The focus was on activation of EU rights in third countries, that is, country outside of the EU neighborhood policy. So this seminar was comprising of three panels. Each panel had two speakers, one discussant and one chair. The first panel was there to set the stage with Dr. Luigi Leonardo that focused on right, interest and value in EU external relations law, and Mark Constantinidis um, that focused on EU enforcement of fundamental rights compliance in third countries. The second panel focused on activation through litigation with a contribution from Francesca Finelli that focused on EU sanctions and litigation in third countries, and another contribution from Professor Reignard Zimmer that gave an account of the activation of social chapter in EU trade agreements. Finally, the last panel focused on activations of rights, but not through litigation this time, with Dr. Benedetta Voltolini that focused on activation of EU rights abroad through lobbying and boycott campaign, and Dr. Julia Kaspiarovic that focus on the Swiss system of direct democracy and how it affects activations of rights. So this seminar, there is also a project of book where each contribution will become a chapter. And to discuss this fascinating seminar, or I dare say even this, this project, we are here the person responsible for it, Dr. Luigi Leonardo. So he's here uh, at TCC as a lecturer in European Union law since 2020. And he's in charge with Professor Andrew Cotti on our work package four. His main research interests are the European Union's foreign affairs from a legal, historical and political perspective, as well as a judicial protection of fundamental rights in the European Union. So the seminar had a particular focus on the concept of legal mobilization. So legal mobilization can be defined as Van Halle considered, which is a, a big figure in the literature on legal mobilization. She considered that in its narrowest application, the term referred to high profile litigation effort. And more broadly, it can be used to describe any type of process by which individual or collective actors invoke legal norm, discourse or symbol to influence policy, culture or behavior. So right can be activated by civil society or individuals through strategic litigations, but also through other forms such as lobbying um, or boycott campaigns. So Dr. Luigi, thank you, Dr. Leonardo, sorry, thank you for coming today. Uh, can you tell us how does that concept work in the context of EU foreign policy? Thank you for having me. Good morning. I would say two things to answer the question of how uh, I how it is uh, 
uh, interesting or how uh, legal mobilization works in the, con in the context of foreign policy. The first is why I find it uh, uh, intellectually stimulating and the second is why it is also academically uh, important. So on why it is intellectually valuable it's because uh, um, US foreign policy, for example, is heavily uh, politicized in the sense that uh, election, presidential elections are won or lost uh, on foreign policy issues, depending on the foreign policy agenda of the candidate. Uh, but in the EU, it is not so. So why is it the case? And uh, I think that the explanation of a difference uh, is uh, intellectually um, an interesting phenomenon for the social scientists to explore. So, uh, of course, there are differences between uh, institutional arrangements uh, and the competences uh, in the US and in the EU, but also perhaps the role of citizens and the role of rights uh, and how they are activated may account for the difference. So this is the intellectual side of it. There is also uh, an academic interest in uh, um, tackling this issue, which is the fact that there is a gap in the literature uh, between uh, the literature on external relations law and the literature on, uh, uh, the, uh, legal, mobi on legal mobilization. Uh, a, a bridge needs to be built. And this is precisely what we uh, have tried to do with this seminar. All right. And can I ask you the second question now? Because you, you chose the terminology of right activism and you distinguish between the inside and outside aspect of legal mobilization uh, in your contribution during the seminar. So can you expand on the interest of such a distinction? Do, do you think the conference gave you an element of answer to that? Yes, certainly. So I think that uh, right activism is not to be confused with right activation the two concepts are partially overlapping, but not all right activation necessitates activism. So you don't always need uh, uh, social movement to have right activation. A right can be activated by an individual. Uh, and uh, in the seminar, I think we had two perspectives on that. So um, the, the element of, of an answer is that um, to explore activation of rights in EU foreign policy actually means two interrelated things. The first thing is what I call an internal perspective. So it means uh, um, what is the role of rights of third countries or of uh, natural legal of third country natural legal persons in litigation in EU courts. This means answering questions such as who are the third country natural legal persons who activate EU rights in EU courts. When do they do so? Why? Uh, on what grounds? What kind of law do they uh, try to, uh, to invoke in front of courts? And the second perspective is uh, the external perspective. So legal mobilization in EU foreign policy means what kind of activation of rights exists in third country, uh, who, where, under what circumstances and why tries to rely on EU-derived rights. Both perspectives are necessary because right activism in third country is uh, uh, semantically ambiguous. It means really two things and its two perspectives are uh, interlinked. Um, there are strict internal requirements uh, 
of EU law for who can challenge, for example, EU sanctions, and this in turn affects uh, the, second the, the second question, the external perspective of who challenges uh, uh, sanctions from the third country. And I wanted to come back to a point that uh, Professor Canizori brought. Uh, he acted as a discussant for the first panel. And uh, following yours and Mark's contribution, he pointed out that there, there is a risk of imposing values. And we need to distinguish between promoting EU values and imposing EU values in third countries. Because imposing values could risk to become imperialistic. So what do you think of that? Is there a risk for the EU to impose values on third countries? Now, this gives me the opportunity also to link back to the previous answer that I gave, with, because there is also another connection between uh, the internal and the external perspectives that emerged from the discussion that we had on the day. Uh, how can the EU rely on rights in international affairs, even though others, other countries, other organizations, do not want to? So how much can the EU rely on its own values in face of resistance? Where does human rights export end and where does imperialism begin? Uh, I think the conference was useful in, uh, uh, in raising the question in these explicit terms rather than in uh, um, rather than in offering one answer. It problematizes the answer what we know so far is that, what we have understood is that as a matter of EU primary law, there isn't an unambiguous answer. Okay? In other words, the treaties do not help to provide a final definitive balance between rights of individuals and interests of the EU in EU foreign policy when these rights and these interests do not align. These balancing the um, drawing the boundaries between uh, um, right uh, uh, export and potentially imperialism is a balance that is left to EU institutions depending on various procedures, depending on uh, what legal instrument is uh, adopted. It is an important question that our project needs to address, uh, although uh, my guess is that the answer will ultimately depend on the normative commitments of the of each author. And I want to come back to Francesca Finelli's um, contribution because she focused on, as I mentioned earlier, on litigation in third countries against EU sanctions. So she briefly expanded on a Venezuela case and in your contribution you also mentioned this case and the recent case RT France. So I was wondering why are these cases of interest in the context of legal mobilization in third countries? But the cases are of interest because uh, first they have high visibility. Uh, they are quite spectacular. In the Venezuela case, you have a third country, you have the country of Venezuela that challenges EU law in EU courts. They came all the way to, uh, to the door, to knock on the door of the court in Luxembourg. Um, this is something that in the legal community at least has very high visibility. Um, the RT France case is another spectacular one in which a French-based company that is uh, um, sponsored in its entirety by the, by the Russian government challenged a prohibition 
of uh, the uh, uh, prohibition of broadcasting any content in the European Union. So again, you have uh, uh, a third state uh, um, linked entity that challenges EU law in EU courts. This also has the uh, important media repercussions. Now, the question of interest is why some uh, companies, why some states challenge measures and others do not. This is, uh, again, um, an interesting question for the perspective of legal mobilization. Uh, this is what we are trying to understand, what we are trying to find out in our research, and uh, it requires uh, an answer that goes outside the traditional legal scholarship and to which we have tried to sketch some answers in uh, the um, in the event um, for example we uh, we found uh, that uh, it uh, partially depends the answer partially depends on the legal opportunities uh, structure meaning it depends on the internal perspective on who can challenge eu law in uh, uh, in eu courts and partly it also depends on the other factors. Very interesting. And, and what about Professor Zimmer's contribution? Because she, she mapped out the evolution of social chapters in trade agreements between the EU and third countries. And we can see that EU is now always integrating this kind of chapter in trade agreements since at least 2014 and the EU-Moldavia bilateral agreement. So, however, she stressed that the standard dispute settlement mechanism are not applying to the social, social chapter. So can we really talk about promotion of rights there? Are those clause more symbolic rather than ensuring the promotion of rights in third countries? Or how does that impact the promotion of EU rights in third countries, in your opinion? I thought the contribution by Professor Zimmer was very useful because it provided a perspective that was, uh, um, that was in, in the outside perspective, so concentrating on what happens on the ground in third country, so to speak. She showed that uh, the tradition of uh, certain states, what she called the tradition of social dialogue, accounts for the success or failure of the social chapter dispute mechanism procedures. So depending on whether the third country usually has social dialogue or not, then the activation of those um, uh, social chapters will be more or less uh, um, effective. In other words, it is the context in the third country what makes a difference for the activation of EU-derived rights. For this reason, I would not say that the chapters are symbolic, rather than they are less easily enforceable than other chapters. All right. And this comes to, to, to uh, an important point. I think this contribution were very varied, as, as we can see now when we discuss it a bit in depth. And in the third panel, Professor Schunz, that was acting as a discussant, included the idea to frame all those contributions around um, the foreign policy cycle. So why is that relevant? It's relevant because the suggestion is one way to, gap, to build, to, to bridge the legal and the political dimension of our analysis, which was interdisciplinary, uh, as reflected in the uh, demographics of the authors. By demographic, I mean the uh, discipline of origin. Uh, 
So foreign policy cycle is a standard classification in foreign policy analysis, which distinguishes between foreign policy initiation, foreign policy formulation, and foreign policy implementation. And as a matter of law, one could try to map out that to each of these phases, different involvements of EU institutions uh, correspond. Um, as well as the kind of rights at, as, at stake, as uh, we saw examples of this uh, during, during the seminar. Uh, in uh, one case, the European Commission will take the lead, in another case, uh, will be the European Parliament or the Council. Uh, so foreign policy cycles essentially can be very useful to unify uh, the, um, the legal and the political perspective. And to come back to the main research question of the event, so it was whether it is possible to theorize the role of rights in EU foreign policy, thus contributing from a legal perspective to political science literature. Do you think you were able to achieve an element of answer to that question? I think that the seminar was extremely useful thanks to the speakers, the discussants and the chair and chairs. Uh, we are closer, I think, to uh, better understanding the problem. Uh, if um, <clears throat> we are closer to better understanding the problem rather than to having an answer, this is still very good because if we are to give a correct answer, we first need to have a clear understanding of uh, what it is that we are that we are looking for. And I feel that after what we have done at our uh, seminar, we are. Uh, close to refining the question uh, rather than to offering an answer at this stage which will need uh, more uh, empirical uh, research and the the need for this empirical research is one of the um, one of the contributions of the seminars and uh, once this is carried out then I'm confident that we will have a significant uh, um, contribution to the literature all right, and, and to come back to the research focus of the Germany Center uh, and how this seminar contributes to, to the research focus. So we know that the Germany Center is investigating how EU-derived rights can actually contribute to the EU legitimacy in the EU, its neighborhood and globally, so that's more the subject of work package four, while adopting a citizen perspective and considering how do citizens perceive the right, how do citizens use the rights. So. How do you think this seminar contributed to an element of response to that question? In the context of third countries, would you say citizens can actually use EU-derived rights? And by using them, do you think they are generating legitimacy for the EU globally? I think that the main contribution of the seminar is that it is difficult to balance right export with EU interests without falling into a form of right imperialism. The law does not give an answer to that puzzle. Uh, there are many individual cases of rights activation, which could be through litigation, through lobbying, through boycott campaigns. And these show that it is necessary to consider what I call micro-histories. We need to consider the um, desires and beliefs of the individuals behind these actions. Uh, rather than look for the big picture. I think this is uh, the main contribution, and this is a contribution both of substance and of method. 
for sure there are EU-derived rights. Uh, we saw some of the opportunities that third country citizens have. We also uh, discussed some of the obstacles um, that, um, that uh, third country nationals um, face. Uh, but whether uh, this generates or detracts from the EU's legitimacy, which is the uh, core question of the, uh, of the entire project, uh, uh, well, this is something that we will need to explore further um, because it depends uh, uh, on the careful balance that is to be struck between uh, the bona fide exportation of rights and uh, uh, the pitfall of uh, the risk of uh, right imperialism. So thank you very much, Dr. Leonardo, for this very interesting discussion on legal mobilization. Thank you all for listening. That will be all for today. And stay tuned for our next podcast that will be broadcasted in a few weeks and that will concern our next event, an event that will be held in June here at UCC, but also online. And that will concern the European Citizen Initiative and the initiative of the Universal Basic Income. Look for our website, uh, European Integration Germany Centre UCC, to see what we will do next. Thank you.